Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. It was a tradition in the ancient Mediterranean world for young people to visit an oracle in order to explore their options for a direction in life. An ancient story tells of a young Phoenician known to history as Zeno of Kittium. Zeno went to an oracle, and rather than asking what trade he should follow in life, he asked rather, how could he become wise? The oracle, who was of course presumed in those days to be speaking with the voice of the gods, said this, take on the complexion of the dead. Take on the complexion of the dead. Now oracles were famously mysterious, even riddle-like in their messages, so take on the complexion of the dead. Did this mean that the gods advised Zeno to take on the bloodless power of the dead? No, Zeno decided. It meant wisdom could be found in joining in conversation with the dead by reading and deeply considering their wise words. And so that's what Zeno did. And he became the founder of one of the most enduring of the philosophical traditions, Stoicism. Now, it's easy to forget that all of us are in conversation with the dead every moment through genetics, established customs, social systems, and of course through our own memories of our ancestors. Every I is in fact a we, that cloud of witnesses that follows us all the time. Zeno, who was born in 334 BCE, consulted the oracle on the island of Cyprus, which has evidence of human activity going back 12,000 years. There were, in other words, lots of dead people for Zeno to converse with, and since his day, we've added another couple of millennia and hundreds of millions more dead people to that conversation take on the complexion of the dead. We forget that we are in conversation all the time with the dead, but also the living. Perhaps you've heard the trivia that there are more people alive on the planet at this moment than have ever lived in the entire time that humans have existed on the planet. So we have a whole lot of conversation partners. As Zeno knew, we can learn a lot from frank and open discussion. That's why they're Stoics. They were talking on a stoa, a porch, about these issues. Let's take the subject of politics as an example. Now, as you might expect, some dead people have talked a little bit about politics. Aesop said, we hang the petty thieves and appoint the great ones to public office. 
Napoleon Bonaparte said, in politics, stupidity is not a handicap. The American writer Ambrose Bierce wrote, quote, politics, a strife of interests masquerading as a contest of principles, the conduct of public affairs for private advantage. The activist Emma Goldman said, if voting changed anything, they'd make it illegal. Joseph Stalin said, it is enough that the people know there was an election. The people who cast the votes decide nothing. The people who count the votes decide everything. Those of you uh, who have uh, followed along with my Coffee and Wisdom programs know the political realism of the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. He said this, the whole art of politics consists in directing rationally the irrationalities of people, end quote. Now sure, I've uh, chosen some cynical dead people uh, to do the talking in those quotes, but the pattern of what these people have thought is clear, and these talking dead may have a point we can learn from. All right, that's politics. What about democracy? We a little bit blithely, I think, talk about democracy, and uh, maybe we don't always reflect on what the heck that is. Our chalice lighting this morning was the Unitarian Universalist Association fifth principle, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. Now, what do the right of conscience over here and the use of the democratic process over here, what do those two have in common? Why are they in the same sentence in that principle? Clearly, the one, the right of conscience, is subjective, it's individual. And the other is objective, communal, the democratic process. Is the implication of the principle that one leads to the other? Well, if so, how might that work? Is the implication that other forms of governing do not allow conscience? And if that's the implication, why? The fifth principle, it seems to me, is either naive concerning how democracy actually works, or it's oddly idealistic, or it assumes a homogeneity of subjective opinions that no longer exists, if it ever did, uh, or maybe it shouldn't even exist in multicultural congregations. For some nuance in the case, consider another dead person we can talk with, the 20th century political theorist Walter Lippmann. As an idealistic young reporter, he went to Paris to report on the First World War. He quickly discovered that there was a coherent narrative to the news that being reported about the war. He also saw that the coherent narrative being reported as news had almost nothing to do with what was actually happening in the front lines. Lippmann came away from that experience convinced that people understand story, but we have a heck of a hard time understanding facts. 
Walter Lippmann summarized the experience this way, quote, we are all captives of the picture in our heads. Our belief that the world we have experienced is the world that really exists. Now, Zeno's oracle would, I think, advise us to discuss that with Walter Lippmann. Take on the complexion of the dead with him, maybe. We can join in conversation with that young man who learned something, perhaps, from reporting on a war that killed 20 million people. Of a democracy, Lippmann wrote, quote, we, what we call a, demo, a democratic society might be defined for certain purposes as one in which the majority is always prepared to put down a revolutionary minority. Uh, let's think about that. The majority is always prepared to put down a revolutionary minority in a democracy. Now, perhaps we don't like that particular aspect. It seems like oh, this is about force. This is even about violence. But in the end, a democracy is like any other form of government. If it is to survive, its essence must be the control of violence and the control of information. We can, for example, prosecute those folks who participated in the January 6th attack on the Capitol and call it justice. They were a minority. Now, from my perspective, I do call that justice. Yet my conversations with the dead tell me that whatever coloration I wish to use, in the end, it was about force. It was about the control of violence. It was a majority that put down a revolutionary minority. Government, democracy, force, power, violence. And whether the power is wielded by a Stalin or a Harry Truman or a Trump or a Biden, it's still force, it's still power, and it's still controlled violence. Conversation with the dead tells us that whether it's about no parking signs or genocide in government, even in democratic government, there are winners and there are losers. There are those who are freed by decisions and there are those who are oppressed by decisions. And you can't have it all end happily every time. Compromise and consensus are beautiful things. They also don't make a great deal of difference in many circumstances. In the end, a conversation with the dead tells us that there is a majority and there is a minority, and one will put down the other in some way, some shape, or some form, or else. Now, the activist and Senator John Lewis who only recently joined the dead and our ancestors, reminds us of this, quote, democracy is not a state, it is an act, and each generation must do its part to help build what we call the beloved community, a nation and world society at peace with itself. A nation and world society at peace with itself. 
And we here in the U.S. are a long way from that. And unlike so many times in the past when the U.S. self-righteously interfered in the governments of others in the name of democracy, it is not another nation where nation building needs to occur just now. It's here. Democracy is not a state. It is an act. John Lewis talks with us from the dead, and those are wise words. Democracy is not a thing. It's not a steady state. It's not something we can wind up and pump full of tax dollars and send on its way. Rather, democracy is something that living people do. It's an act. It's an action. It's a process. It is not disrespecting our tradition to ask, what does democracy mean today? It's not disrespecting the dead to say that they're they were wrong here and there, and over there and over there, perhaps, all the while respecting the ideas that they did give to us. Yes, the Euro-American men who framed the U.S. Constitution were setting up quite a playground for Euro-American men of their social class. We can call them on their hypocrisy and still believe that our society has value in its potential for its citizens. Democracy continues to be a process. When we consider the world from an I is always we perspective, it's not only the dead we are in conversation with. Of course, as I said earlier, the trivia is that there are more human beings alive on the planet today than have ever lived before. We find ourselves with a lot of living people to converse with. For example, I've mentioned before the work of the living Cameroonian philosopher, Achille Mimembe. He's, he's here to join in this conversation about building a better world. He's to share a view of the world that's not centered in European conceptions of individuality. And he says this, quote, The challenge today, as well as tomorrow, is to live precisely with people who do not look like us. The world in which we lived among ourselves is finished, and it will not come back. The world that is coming is one of integration, implication, and entanglement. So the point is to find ways in which we can reorder our societies in such a way that we can cope with difference. Any other discourse is nostalgic." End quote. Integration, implication, entanglement. Now, I think we should join him in that conversation. Those sound to me like wise concepts when developing a worldview and a vision of a livable future on our planet. Those words make plain the human condition under the circumstances in which we live now, not 500 years ago. Integration, implication, entanglement. In this conversation, Mimimbe agrees with Walter Lippmann concerning a common narrative, a common vision to inform civil society. Further, rather than abstract statements about democracy, as we tend to make in Europe and its many colonies, Mimimbe speaks of order, order, not the sort of fascist order that makes the trains run on time, no matter the human cost, but 
Rather, Mbimbe says this, quote, order also presupposes that people buy into it. They have to believe in it for it to exist at all. Where they don't believe in it, where there is no consent, it unravels very quickly. In that sense, it seems to me that any order has to allow in itself a space for its own contestation. So I would define order in that sense. That which is bought into by a huge number of people and that which allows in itself a space for its being contested. For that contestation, for leading to betterment without anarchy or violence. End quote. Mbembe's order sounds a lot like the American concept of democracy when we really stop to think about it. Now, as for myself, I do believe in the continuing action that we call democracy, not because it's completely fair. It can't be. It's far from it. But because democracy offers a nonviolent means to at least attempt to change social dynamics toward greater good for the greater number. However, allowing for change in one direction is allowing for change in other directions, and we do well to remember that. In democracy, sometimes you're the majority, and sometimes you're not. Yes, government by its very nature wields violence, but it's very clear that violence leads to more violence. For example, the violent American Revolution led to a violent civil war that only partially settled differences that continue to this day and that have led to more violence. Once started, that cycle is really difficult to stop. Our Constitution has been construed to allow for citizens to possess the means to perpetrate violence by owning firearms. And school children continue to die violently because we have set up a system that permits and even condones and even encourages the use of violence. As humanists in the world, we do well to remember that we exist in conversation with those living and those dead all the time. And we do well to remember just how disorienting the points of view often sound to others. Members of the rock group Led Zeppelin report that back when they began playing that brand new song called Stairway to Heaven, which is eight minutes long, the uh, a audience reaction was, quote, they were all bored to tears waiting to hear something they knew, end quote. Now that audience's reaction is uh, a little humorous, but it's not exactly laughable. It is the human propensity something that we all do well to keep in mind. When the song was first played, the audience had no narrative called Stairway to Heaven. And so they couldn't buy into it. Changing the narrative is a really, really difficult thing to do. Remember those words of that ruined idealist Walter Lippmann, quote, we are all captives of the picture in our heads, our belief that the world we have experienced is the world that really exists, end quote. That is human nature. 
But I would suggest that rather than being enthralled to that picture in our heads, we do well to follow the advice of Zeno's oracle long ago. Get in conversation with the dead. And I would add, the living too. As Tom read this morning from Kenneth J. Gergen, you're fully wrapped up in relationships out of which you come and in which you participate. To look at yourself as a single being is absurd. The new way to look at it is, I am connected, therefore I am. That is the way it is. So I invite us to talk with the dead, talk with the living, and trusting to the conversation. So may it be. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.